Hello, Seraphim. This is Dicax, your host for the Voice of Seraphim. Welcome to episode 15, Crap-A-Pack, recorded on Saturday, February 26, 2011. Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and the Seraphim Clan. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the recent and upcoming tournaments, this month's league, and do a special Seraphim Cube Crap-A-Pack. In addition, Easy Pickens and Yard Ape join us to explain clone magic. Fizz talks about the recent Legacy Tournament and how you can run a clan member tournament. And Eldritch and Pasta introduce us to retro drafting. We also talk about card prices and the ongoing Mirrored and Besieged release events. So join us for episode 15 of The Voice of Seraphim. We'll begin with a round of introductions. So we have a lot of people here. Uh, my name is Tykax. I am your host. My name is Easy Pickens, and people like to play me because of my name. This is Eldritch Song, Clan Captain, and your co-host. I'm Fist Alpha, HR member, and Clan member. The Avenge 44, Moment Moderator, and really awesome dude. Uh, the Pastaparian, period. I'm the Yard Ape, and I'm the, one of the newest clan members. Welcome. Welcome all. So, we've had a couple of uh, recent events here. So I thought we'd start with clan events and begin with the special event last night, the Legacy event. Um, Fist, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and then Avenged can tell us about his deck. Yeah, so basically we had an unofficial tournament. Um, in Legacy, we have uh, a couple of members, I think we're up to maybe 10, 12 members that are playing Legacy on and off, and we thought it would be fun have some ad hoc tournaments on and off. Uh, so yesterday was the first one, we had six people turning up, we did a um, three-round event followed by a top two, and yeah, the, win the winner was the Avenged 44. Alright, so if you wanted to find out more about this legacy event. Where's that? Where's that thread at? It's you go into the forum and you go into um, the events section and there is a post. I mean, we could of course tidy this up a bit, but there is a post called unofficial clan tournament legacy uh, close to the top. And uh, if you're interested in legacy or just want to get into the format, just you know, leave something in the post and. Um, Usually what, what we do, or what I did, was that a couple of days before the actual tournament, I asked if, you know, if we would have any people that, that would be interested. And I think only one person came back, but we had so many people logged on yesterday that, um, um, yeah, we got six people to join. Actually, we got five people to join, and then Coasty Dude dropped in a little bit late. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we ended up being six. That's cool. And Avenged, you won that tournament. Mm -hmm. Yep, I did. Um, I was basically just playing a um, mono-red um, red deck wins type deck. It was um, nothing really special. Just it's basically just the um, the popper deck that uh, mono-red popper deck with a few with some added rares and uh, good um, decent staples like fire blasts and goblin guys in it. Um, most of my opponents were playing either control or combo deck, so it was, you know, the red deck had a little bit easier time than it normally does in um, tournament. But, um, yeah, like, yeah, I had some really tough opponents, especially Kosey Dude's um, sneak stuff in the play deck, where he gets an Emrakoi out in third turn. That is scary. 
The deck list can be found on under the classic decks section of our decks forms. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I didn't really know the best place to put it because you know, so I just pasted it there. That's yeah, that's the right spot. Classic and Legacy are the same thing on Magic Online. Okay, and Fist, you've made a donation to the vault in order to ease the entry point into Legacy. Yeah, exactly. So basically, we have a white weenie deck um, that one could borrow from the clan vault. So if you're interested in sort of, you know, just getting into the format or if you would like to participate in one of the tournaments but you don't have a deck, there's now an opportunity to, to borrow this deck. And uh, in order to do that, you would just contact uh, Eldritch Song and um, yeah, he would instigate the trade, and um, that's about it. Awesome. So you donated the Exiler to the Seraphim Vault. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Does uh, the Vault have? Does Seraphim have access to the Bolt Slinger? No, just the just the Exiler right now. And now the reason for that really was because the the white ones actually we decided to kind of discuss this. Really, the only decent legacy deck plus the this effect that it, it has. Lots of value cards in it just makes up for the price tag. Well, it's not a bad deck either, though. It just depends on your matchups you're playing against. Yeah, look, Avenged one with the red deck wins style. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really played with the um, Exiler deck, so I can't really comment on how efficient it is. But yeah, they're to me the to me the boat slingers is a little more faster. Yeah, we will soon find out how good it is. We. Um... It's it's a lot of legacy uh, uh, plays going on actually uh, every week. It's a couple of guys playing. I play it. I've only been playing legacy now for the past couple of weeks. So. Well, that's cool. Thanks for putting together the event and managing that. Yeah, it was quite fun to play in. Just out of curiosity, for those who are interested in possibly running event, what what's involved in doing that fist? Well, actually, it's it's not a lot. Uh, Eld was kind enough to, to give me the link of the program called the DCI Reporter, version 3. That's what we've been using. Uh, so you use this program in order to set up a tournament and just keep track of who's winning. Um, the program will take care of, um, uh, of um, uh, matchups, uh, etc. Uh, the only thing I can add is that I had issues yesterday uh, installing and running the program on a Windows 7 uh, system. It's working fine on my, on my XP system, but um, I didn't get it to work on Windows 7. Uh, the program in itself is, I just find it a little bit um, not very user-friendly. So before you actually run a tournament, maybe you should familiarize yourself with the program. Yeah, for sure. For those who were there like at our first Seraphim tournaments, when I first discovered that program and was using it to do all of our pairings, it took a lot longer than it, than it does now to get all that stuff set up. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise trying to figure out the program even half an hour before a tournament. You probably want to do it at least the day before. You know, open it up and do some practice pairings, and you know how to, you know how to deal with, you know, what if somebody drops or what if someone, what if there's a tie or how do you handle buys. Or how do you fix pairings if you make a mistake? So those are the kind of things you want to make sure you know how to do before you run a tournament. But you know, if you just ask me or someone else that uses that program, we can show you all the all the secret tips of, to make that thing work for you. Yeah, maybe we could do a write up on that if we have time, sometime, and put it on on the forum. 
And what else would a an event organizer need to know before um, maybe taking on that task? What are some other pointers or tips that you might have for facilitating it? I, I think it's fairly easy. I mean, um, well, of course, getting enough people to, to show up, that's the trickiest part, I guess. And, of course, being familiar with, with the DCI reporter program. That's about it. It's not a lot of, um, you know, pre-planning or, or, or things involved beforehand. I just opened this post, and um, this is the second unofficial tournament that, that I've been a part of for, I think, the last month. We, d we did a Somblock one a couple of weeks ago, and, um, yeah, that's about it. Get people involved. That's, that's it. A few other things on that, like, this was saying, it is pretty easy to do your own event. My suggestion would be, like he did, just to start a like a thread in the events section, asking if people are interested in playing a particular format. Uh, once you know you have enough interest, at least I think for a tournament to be to be able to, to run successfully, you need around six people that can kind of you know say they're playing. So once you have at least that number, you can start planning the whole tournament. You just need to figure out what's a good day or time. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what, what times, what days are good for people. Since we have so many kind of different time zones, different people from all kinds, you know, all over the world, the best way to do that is just to figure out a time and date that works for you. The way, because you're the one that's going to have to run it and organize it, so you might as well find one that works for you, that's whatever your best time is, and then if you need to tweak it after that, uh, you can do it that way. And, uh, you know, once you have all that stuff, you know, you have your time, you have your day, and you have your format, and, you know, people are interested in it. You could uh, just let me know that, like, give me a little write-up on it, and I could post it on the main webpage and help you advertise for it. Yeah, if I might add something. Um, now, this is the second tournament that I've been a part of sort of um, instigating. Now, what we did is, f first I, I set up a post uh, just to get sort of a feeling of how many people are interested in, you know, in the particular format that we're looking at. Now, both of these tournaments were actually um, set up with fairly short notice. Uh, I saw that a lot of the people who had shown interest were actually online, and we just tried to fire it off. So it's it's a little bit ad hoc. We would you know set a time. We we I don't think that we even set a time for 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 yesterday's event. We just said that you know after six-ish Seraphim time, you know if we have enough people, we'll just chat around and see if we get enough people and if we do get at least well we were five when we started we just fire it off so there's not a whole deal of planning involved and earlier today was the build your own standard event what was the outcome of that event eldridge uh this one actually had a bit of a tough time launching but we did launch on time with six people uh, so a slightly smaller tournament than usual this thing saturday was at least the one we were running it was pretty slow but uh we launched with six people, and we went three rounds of Swiss and then top two. And it was Fist Alpha and myself in the finals, and Fist Alpha was the one that took the, uh, the trophy home. Fist, what were you playing? Um, I was playing a deck uh, that I called Eldrazi Alpha Strike. Now, basically, this is the Urza block. It's Zendikar, and it's M10. It's a deck that evolves or revolves on uh, the, the, the cards Show Tell and Sneak Attack. For those of you who don't know these cards, basically what Show and Tells it's um, two colorless and one blue, and it uh, gives each player um, uh, the ability to put an artifact, creature, or enchantment or land 
from his or her hand onto the battlefield. Uh, sneak attack is an enchantment, three colorless and one red. Once you have this enchantment in play, you may pay one red and um, you can then put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, so basically, I want to cheat Eldrazi's onto the battlefield. An Emrakul or an Ulamog or a Kozilek. That's it. Badass. Who'd you play against? Banana Fist. Just let me check my notes. Is he a new clan member? <laughs> That's a word, breakup word, right? <laughs> banana Fist. What's Banana Fist? It's a new clan member. Sounds like a pastime. Go ahead, Fist. Who did you play yeah, against? Yeah, so I played against Wahoo Junkie. Uh, that was the first matchup. I won that one 2-0. Two to I was quite lucky because I think that I got Eldrazius into play on turn 3 every time and he didn't have anything on the board or anything to disrupt me. So that was over in a couple of minutes. Um, after that I played against Pasta. This was a little bit trickier. Pasta was running a... Was that a rug you were running, Pasta? That was Animal Crackers. Yeah, he was uh, fast, uh, lots of animals, lots of critters. I won both of those as well, turn 6 and 7. Uh, don't remember too much from that particular match. What is Animal Crackers? Probably the greatest deck ever. Absolutely. What's in Animal Crackers? Um, some cards, uh, Bestial Menace, Bestial Menace, however the hell you want to pronounce it. It, 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 was, it was a rug deck for Zen Block before... Rug was a deck, and I've played that deck in Seraphim tournaments probably more than any other deck I've ever played, just hoping for a freaking trophy, and it's never happened. Yeah, and after facing Pasta, I was up against Eld. Now, that was um, something that I thought would be uh, very di difficult, and it was actually. It was very close um, both times we played. I mean... I, since I finished my match against Wahoo Junkie so quickly, I actually had plenty of time to um, look at the other matches, so um, I got a pretty good feeling of what the other people were running. And when I saw Eld packing Hand Disruption, Duresses and Thought Caesars main board, <laughs> and he had an Emrakul as well in his deck, plus the fact that his deck was blistering fast, made me a bit wary. Um, anyways, the first time we played, the third round, uh, I came up on top, 2-1. to one. Every game was over fast, turn 4 or 5. Uh, in the top 2, it was um, quite close, very close I would say. I mean, I lost the first one, I won the second one, and the third one was... Uh, yeah, that was quite funny actually, because he kept bouncing my sneak attack but I actually top-decked an Ulamog and had an Emrakul on hand and managed to finish him off on one sweep. So, uh, yeah, it was very close, very close. Yeah, that last game was that game was pretty intense. I think I was telling you earlier that the way the, way the board position was, I kept on bouncing his, uh, sneak, his sneak attack with my primal commands, and uh, so I was on a pretty fast clock because as soon as he got enough mana, he was going to drop. Like, as far as I knew, he only had a... Uh, Ulamog, the infinite gyre in his hand. Uh, and so, if that, if that had been the case, the game would have been mine. But uh, I think what well, you ended up drawing like three Eldrazi in a row. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. You thought seized one of my Eldrazi's, right? So it got shuffled in, and then I actually top-decked another Eldrazi. I had one on hand and, and top-decked one as well. Yeah, I think 
that game was like I, I think if you hadn't had the third Eldrazi, like if you hadn't had any one of those three cards, I might have been able to pull that because of my of the Venge Binds, and I had two one drops in my hand, so that was it was a possible comeback. But uh, the three Eldrazi just wiped me out. Yeah, yeah. I think the key is, I mean, um, the deck that I was playing, I mean, it's it's pretty fast. Ideally, I'll drop an Eldrazi on turn three, off of an uh, off of a show and tell. If that doesn't fly, then I'll probably have a sneak attack, um, you know, and we'll be bouncing in Eldrazi around round five. But the thing is, Eld's deck was so quick, and uh, <laughs> his hand disruption is quite annoying, so that is not a good matchup for this deck in general. It's actually splashing a couple colors. I was splashing, you know, like you said, black for like a, a Botsies and also Cyborg Duress, so I can bring those in against like controlish decks, uh, like yours, Pastas, and even um, I think I think that those cards perform best against Osric's deck that had to go. It was a little more of a combo deck that needed certain pieces in order to go off. Uh, and then I was actually was playing a few white sources the way I could bring in like a Gadok Teague. Or even uh, like a forged tender, like an anti-red card from uh, the sideboard as well. I think against that final game, I didn't sideboard right. I should have brought in my uh, enchantment removal. I didn't. All I brought in was more uh, hand disruption, and I left out the enchantment removal. That might have helped that game, but either way, that was that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was training a little bit with this deck in the in, in legacy tournaments actually during the week, and something that I noticed was that. Hand disruption is completely lethal. Counter spells are quite annoying as well. The thing is, I can play around that, uh, but I think the combination of having a fast clock like your deck had and hand disruption is uh, pretty annoying for for my deck. The thing is, I changed it up a bit. So the way I played it, since I knew that you had hand disruption, was that I I actually didn't want any of my combo pieces on hand when I when I draw. Because I have so many um, effects that can, you know, shuffle the library, reshuffle, etc. That, you know, I just want to start doing that when I have three, four lands in play. Yeah, that's what I thought you were doing. So whenever I would do that afterwards, all I would see is, like, I wouldn't see any of your combo pieces except for a few of them. And I'm not, so I'm not sure, like, for hand disruption, whether or not it was the correct move to get rid of your, uh, your creatures instead of your, your combo pieces. But I'm looking over your deck list now, and it looks like you have like you have four Emrakuls and two Illumogs and two Kozilek. So I'm not really surprised that you ended up drawing so many. Uh, so I guess that makes maybe makes it makes it seem to me that I should have maybe taken out your sneak attacks or what have you instead of the the creature itself. But I'm not sh I'm still not sure which play was right there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have four of the cheat cards to cheat in Eldrazi. Sorry, eight of those in total, and then eight Eldrazi's. And, you know, when I was training with it, it, that was enough. As you can see in the sideboard, I do have some Quicksilver Amulets, but those were mainly for control. I mean, if they were very, very counter-heavy, I mean, I just wanted more options to cheat creatures into play. Um, yeah. And, you know, with all the shuffle effects and the gambles, I mean, I would say that the gambles, they were quite surprising. Of, they, were, they were good. I used them a couple of times during the tournament, and the way to use them is that either, if you, if you don't have a single combo piece, you might use it on, on your first turn. The thing is, if you end up with, let's say, two Eldrazi's or two of your sneak attacks, then it's a good way to gamble in order to get, you know, the missing combo piece. So it's actually gluing the, the deck together. 
I think it was definitely a good night for Eldrazi. Like you mentioned that I, I was also running one Emrakul in my in my deck, and against the game I played with Pasta round one, I think I got Emrakul out every single game just with the uh, all the like all the mana acceleration creatures plus Primal Command to go fetch it out of my my deck. Very strong cards. Yeah, definitely. So, what's next on the agenda? I was just about to ask Eldritch about the Odyssey League. An update on the Odyssey League. Can you give us an update on the Odyssey League, Eldritch? Sure. Uh, we are finishing up the second week of the Odyssey League, and so we're going to be moving into the third week. This Monday, is the next pack to go out will be a Torment pack, uh, and that'll be 15 extra cards to add to your Odyssey pool. And... It seems, like, I haven't actually updated the, the match results yet, but the leader, it seems to me, this time is probably either Greenism or Matthew's Meg. I haven't actually added up all the, the numbers there, so we do have a couple of those, a uh, couple of people pulling ahead, and usually the ones that are pulling ahead are obviously the ones that are playing the most matches, so I would advise those people that maybe you're getting discouraged about their scores to keep playing matches. That's the way you, that's the way you move up in the rankings. Um, and yeah, the... Registration for the league is still open, so if you just wanted to jump in in the middle of it, you're welcome to do that. And you should, you really shouldn't be that far behind. Um, you could make, you could definitely make it up and not be too far back if you decided to join right now. So that's definitely an option for everybody. Can you give us a cube update? All right. Well, the cube. I think last time we played the cube was this past Wednesday, and um, actually it went fairly well. I think we had six people that time again, and we played again. I think out of the people who played, I think it was Osric250 who went 3-0. That time around, and took the uh, took the victory from that. But uh, we do the uh, cube currently has 430 cards in it, and so our current goal actually is 450. So we're only missing 20 cards out of the entire cube, which is a pretty gut pretty good number to be at. Damn. And uh, it looks, Damn. yeah, exactly. It's shaping up nice. That is that's uh, impressive. I mean, when did when did we start the cube? Not a month, two months ago, tops. Yeah, we started. We started planning and collecting cards for the cube uh, this past December. So in about two months or so, we've almost completed the entire cube. Uh, obviously, you know, this is the budget version of the cube. And I say that, we still have a lot of really expensive cards in there, but compared to what the overall price is, this is the budget version that we're still completing. But um, once we get that finished, we can start investing in the more expensive cards. And I think I think it looks good. And even now, the cube just has some you know, ridiculously good cards in it, and it's pretty fun to play. I would say probably the best limited format I've played so far. Uh, but, yeah, it's got a lot of things in it, and uh, one thing I do want to let people know about is I started a thread in the uh, the Q form about Mirrodin Besiege cards, so if you have anything that you think, uh, like, like cards that we should put in the Q from Mirrodin Besiege, we've got a general list there of some cards that look pretty cool that might uh, fit well into a cube. And so there are a few nice posts in there, so just, like, if you want to weigh in, if you ever play the cube and you think that some of those cards look like they should belong in there, just let us know, and we'll uh, take those into consideration when we update the cube for Mirrored and Besieged. Pasta, it is now time for you to reveal what a retro draft is. What a what? A retro draft. A retro draft. Um, a retro draft is a draft that has taken place prior to it being video recorded. Go through uh, using raredraft.com. If you're not familiar with it, you should be. It's a program or a website, I guess, that lets you uh, upload your draft uh, picks from Moto onto their website for others to view. 
what we're doing in the uh, retro videos then is we're looking at the picks uh, one by one, and the benefit of doing that is we both, uh, me and Song, Song and I, like to go long on a discussion of picks, and that's hard to do when you're doing it live. Doing it this way, we can give a little, little more insight on to uh, our feelings on card evaluation and what have you. When it comes time to the matches, then Song was a superhero here and figured out how you, uh, I guess, it, what is it? it you load up a, a text file of your past matches. Am I saying this right, Song? Um, what we did was that we, again, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but your replays are actually saved locally on your computer, uh, all of your replays. And what we did was uh, there's actually a text file inside your Magic Online, like, hidden in your computer that stores all of your, your, your replay files. And so what you can do is you can copy those, like, the text out of your replay file and send it to somebody else. They can load it up and put it inside theirs and then replay your games on their computer. Yeah, exactly. So what it is is we're, we're showing the matches retroactively, hence the name Retro Drafts, and this is not something we came up with just to make that clear. But, I mean, this is a imitation of what the guys on uh, limited resources do. But what they say of what imitation is, the sincere form of flattery, so there you go. So now, what do you have to do to be able to do this? Well, basically what Maposta does is he'll go out and he'll do a draft, and then he'll upload that draft to uh, raredraft.com, and then we'll get on Skype, and then we'll share screens, and I'll go through there, and I'll look through all of his picks, and he doesn't tell me what you know what he picked or how he did it in the draft or anything like that, so I'm going to be going through there and doing what I would have done uh, and then seeing how my picks compare to his picks, and then, you know, if they're different, we'll discuss, you know, why we disagree or why we agree or what have you. Uh, and then we'll just move through all the picks like that, and then afterwards we'll do the same thing for his matches. We'll go through each match step by step, talk about what I would have played or how I would have played or how I would have blocked, you know, attacked, you know, whatever, and we'll discuss that as well. So it's kind of like breaking down someone else's draft and getting a, you know, a third, you know, or a second perspective on your on your draft. And what you said being third perspective, I mean, that that's actually true, because reviewing your own games, looking back at it, you'll see mistakes you made or different ways you would have played it. And it really is a useful uh, a tool to, to get get better at your game, to, to review review your picks and your plays. Yeah, and like, you know, what Pasta was saying earlier, one thing that I do like about this type of draft, or this kind of retro draft, is that we can spend a lot more time on card evaluation. So typically, you might have in a normal draft, maybe that whole drafting process takes about 30 minutes. Uh, and so if, you know, when me and Ponce a team draft, we only have at least that, you know, that amount of time to talk about all the picks before the timer runs out. And so sometimes we kind of don't get a chance to fully explore all the options. Well, if you look at the, uh, the retro draft we actually have recorded on our YouTube channel, uh, some of those go for maybe an hour. So we end up getting maybe about twice the amount of time we normally would to talk about all the picks here. Uh, so I think if you're maybe new to Beard and Besiege, you're just new to drafting and limited in general, and you want to see kind of how card evaluation works, I would definitely advise checking out these uh, these videos because you know I might you know we might not be pro players, but I think Pasta and I figured out how to evaluate cards in limited formats. So I think we at least could help you you know figure out what certain cards are worth in a limited format by watching the video. Unfortunately, though, we had a bit of a glitch, and uh, I didn't record the matches for either of those retro drafts. Uh, but now that we've kind of figured out how all that works, we do any of these in the future if people still want 
you know, one more of those kind of retro drafts. Uh, we'll make sure to record the matches correctly, or I'll make sure to record them correctly, the way you can get those up there and actually see how the cards that we drafted played out. Did you say, where, where can we find the link to this retro draft on the forum? I'll be posting them on the main page, like I normally do with the, uh, the videos. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but they are uploaded on YouTube. Uh, so if you didn't know, we do have a YouTube channel. It's MTGO Clan Seraphim is their, is their, uh, is their name on there. And... It's not too hard to find. Actually, there's not there's actually few enough weirding to siege things on there. You can type in MBS draft and find a lot of our videos on like the first two pages. And so, can you explain the thing about the text file again? All right. So, oh lord. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not it's not too complicated, really. Uh, all the like, all the replays were actually saved, I guess, on the like a wizard server somewhere, and that you can access them from your account through pretty much like an identifier that's in a text file somewhere hidden on your computer. Uh, if you know where to look, you can go and find those text files and share them with other people. They could put those, like the lines of text that correspond to the games you want to replay, they take those lines of text and put them in their computer, and they can log onto their Magic Online and look at your games as though they were like, they were your own replays. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what we what we did for the replays is I would go into my computer, find the the text files that are hidden in there that correspond to the matches played, games played, I would copy down the, that text file, send it to uh, Mr. Eldritch Song here. He would load that into his and be able to watch my replays on his, uh, his client. And how did you learn how to do this? It kind of took some digging, didn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a bit, actually, well, it's kind of one of those things, hidden in plain sight type things. Uh, we knew we could. We knew you could do it because, like Pasta said, we we've been copying or imitating, I guess, the uh, the format that Limited Resources use. They have their own retro drafts up there, so we knew that it's possible to share replays somehow. So at least that was a key part of the puzzle, knowing that it could be done. So we just had to figure out how it could be done. Uh, I did a lot of Google searching and just came across. It's actually in one of the uh, FAQs that they have on the community forums, uh, one of the updated ones. So it's kind of hard to find that exact. Exact thread. Once you have it, the guy just goes through and explains where those things are located, and then it just becomes, you know, a, a task of finding the, the corresponding folders on your computer. Do you mind sharing that link? I can probably find it again. That'd be cool. Sounds cool. Or I could just tell you how to do it, which would be probably easier than trying to find the link again. You could tell me how to find the link. Well, I mean, no, I mean, actually, why bother with the link when I'm just, I could just tell you the information that the link contains? What I was saying. So, like, just post on the forums, like, how it could be done. Same difference. Exactly so. Six of one, half dozen of the other. So, yeah, that'd be a great post. We'd love to see it. I've always been curious if you could do that and how you would do it. Banana Fist. I want to, like, split off slightly here. When we were trying to figure out how to do this, I was in conversation with uh, Goto. And if you follow limited resources, you know who that is. And he, he's a really nice guy and Godot. was going to help us figure this out. Yeah, Godot. He was, he was uh, more than willing to help figure it out. He messaged back just as a song here on the link. What a nice guy. And hopefully uh, I kind of put the bug in his ear. That possibly uh, we'll get a limited resources versus Seraphim Momir tournament going. <laughs> Yeah, you laugh, but he seemed quite interested in it. 
good to you. Still might have to hit him up though and figure out why we can't see each other's hands on that replay. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So moving on to upcoming events. The next event is a chromatic tournament on Friday, March 4th at 8 p.m. Seraphim time. This is a 60-card standard singleton event. Your deck has to be monocolor, with the ex exception of eight cards, including your sideboard. Is that correct? Anything you want to add or take away from that, Eldritch? Actually, it's excluding your sideboard. You can only have eight off-color cards in main deck, but you can have as many off-color cards as you want in your sideboard. But once you do sideboard, you still have to have you have to adhere to those rules. Exactly. There can never, at any point, even after sideboarding, be more than eight off-color cards in your main deck. And just so everybody knows, in case you're not familiar with singleton, singleton means that you can only have one copy of each card, excluding basic lands. Well, actually, for for this event, we do have sort of a like I guess I guess you can call them teams for each color. They're called subclans in Seraphim. And what you can do is there's a there's a a thread on the events forms. I think it's called the color quiz, and it probably has some other things after that. Uh, what you can do though is respond to that and say what subclan you want to be in. And when the uh, tournament rolls around, I'll be sure to uh, add your name to the uh, the list. And what that means is that you should be able like after I do that, you should have access to a uh, another forum section that only your team can access, and then you can discuss deck builds and see what other people have been playing in your subplan, the way you guys can sort of collaborate uh, in order to make a good deck, the way your subplan can take home the, uh, the trophy at the end of the tournament. And one thing to consider is that even, you know, this the this deck is not very hard to make, and it's not very expensive either because it is a singleton format, which means at most you're going to have one copy of, you know, any kind of expensive card that you might, you know, you could possibly think of. So it really is fairly budget, and, uh, you know, more than that, it's a pretty wide-open format. There aren't really archetypes or... Uh, decks that are actually dominating the the scene, so you can come in with the you know your own build, your own deck, and expect it to do fairly well. So don't let you know not having a deck keep you from playing in the tournament because they are pretty you know easy to throw together. Uh, if you just want to put one you know for the you know just the event, or maybe you want to spend more time on it, but uh, you know you're welcome to to join, and it's not that hard to get ready for. Is easy here? Easy here. Cool. Um, tell us about uh, Sunday night clone magic. All right. Well, Sunday Night Clone Magic is a is a game that started with us in paper about two years ago. We thought it was uh, we put together a set of cards that we all wanted to play from, and I actually made lots of these sets of cards and handed them out to all my friends. And instead of the cards changing like you do in standard, the rules changed every week. That got to be pretty popular amongst us, and so we decided Yard Ape and I decided to try to bring it to Magic the Gathering online. We held our first event uh, last Thursday night, although we've changed the Sundays now. How do you think that went, Yardate? Oh, I think it was great. I mean, it 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 actually put what we have during the the week when we play paper. It, it put it in on the uh, online real well. Yeah, we pared down our paper collections from 1,200 to just 360 online. And uh, we've picked the best of the best, and that's what's available on the online pool for now. So, someone is interested in playing in the uh, in the Clone Magic Workshop. You know, where can they go to find out more about it? We have a uh, post in the forums. It's called Sunday Night Clone Magic. It tells the rules, has a complete uh, card list, 
and it uh, tells you the dates and the the rules for each week. Well, March 6, our next Sunday night outing, we play Odd Man Out, and that means all the casting costs in the decks have to be 0, 2, 4, 6, 8, or 10, etc. No 1, 3, 5, 7s, or 9s. The carpool is uh, pretty unique in that we crafted it pretty well to try to represent all the archetypes and all the colors. Red, of course, has your zaps and your hastes, and green has graveyard recursion and, and interesting creatures, and white has big flying angels and white weenies. But we, uh, we're we still building the, the, the list, so if you come into Clone Magic and you see, hey, man, I'd really like to play this card, we can add it to the set, and everybody gets one copy of it. And um, then we continue to use it from there on out. Right, and so to be clear, the, uh, the forum post actually is located in the uh, events forum, and it's stickied at the very top. So just check that out. And uh, like you said, it's got the you know the explanation of what it is, plus the very next post is where the, the set is that you can use. And uh, so everybody that plays in the Clone Magic can use that entire set to make whatever they want. According That's to right. The, right. the cards change. The cards stay the same, but the rules change every week. As a matter of fact, Avenged is picking the week after next format. Tell us about that, Avenged. Um, basically, that week's um, deck rolling will be um, 40 card decks with sideboards, optional, of course. Um, 15 card sideboard with a 40 card deck, and there will be all cards in the deck must be either mana cost of one or two. And um, that means no zero, no four, and all that stuff. One of the most fun things about uh, once you've finished a, an event is having somebody announce what the rules are going to be for the next one. And automatically your brain starts to think about how your limited pool can be used to maximize those those strange rules. And I bet you everybody listening to this podcast right now is thinking, wow, you know, what kind of crazy rule could I come up with? Cool. So basically there's a common card pool and then the the rules for building the deck change from week to week. That's basically it. And wow. One of the things I, we... Uh, we work really hard to make the card pool very affordable so that the, the level to entry is almost nothing. Every card in the pool can be found on Cardbot for $10. I was going to say, wow, that's impressive. Well, that's cool. And so this is something that you're hopefully going to have every, every Sunday night. We've been doing it every uh, two Thursdays a month for the last two and a half years. I have a big commitment to this format, and I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and... It's more of a league feel than it is a tournament feel, although there is a winner at the end of the night. There aren't many prizes. Uh, basically, I'm going to allow the winners, I think, to start picking new cards to go into the card pool one at a time. So that will be the big prize is to have your name on the list as being a card contributor. Hey, Easy, just as a thought, and this is your baby, maybe also in addition to, because I love the, uh, they get to pick a card to go into the pool. Maybe they pick the, uh, specifications for the following week's limitations. We don't want the winner only there, Pasta. We want everybody to have fun making up their own sets of rules. So we're going to rotate that around players who come in. If somebody shows up and has never had the opportunity to pick a card set or a card rule, we're going to let them do that so they can express themselves. Right on. Great idea. So does anybody have any funky rules they can think of tonight that might be fun in the future? Hmm, tough one. Only use cards by one artist. We have in the past had only cards with girls in the art, and that was a very, very <laughs> bad game. We were all very distracted and couldn't play very well. Well, that sounds like a really cool format. Thanks for bringing it to the clan. 
hopefully it'll catch on and we can spread the audience and maybe it'll be a, the next EDH. Just out of curiosity, how many people do you usually have play with you in paper? Uh, well, see, now, there's the limiting factor in paper is that we have to own all these cards, and everybody has to have a, their own set of cards. So right now we only have eight sets, and um, when people, more than eight people show up to play with us, we have to draft out of that set or seal pool out of that set. So we've had uh, six, eight, ten, some nights, some nights it's only five. You know, speaking of drafting, though, you actually could, you know, as one of your formats, uh, use your the card pool as a cube, as a mini cube. I, when we were building it, we thought about that. And the, the beauty of this cube is because uh, once you've drafted, there will be no sending out text lists to players because they already own all the cards. They just copy their, their deck they just drafted and start playing. So what time do you usually hold it on Sundays? We're going to shoot for 8 p.m. Eastern time, which seems like a pretty good neutral time, not too late for the people who want to go to bed, not too, uh, not too early to interfere with your, your family time on Sunday. So we hope that too, proves to be a popular time. Anything else you want to add, Yard Ape? Mm, I can't think of anything. I mean, playing this online is is a lot uh, different than uh, for me for than playing paper. Uh, I think that the online aspect, though, of how many people we can get will really bring in a lot more to the aspect of the game than what we do on paper. Uh, it seems like on paper is it's hard to get a group of us together to meet like that. Uh, but I met with the four of us that played. Was it four of us? Yeah, there was four in our last our last meeting. Yeah, so it, it seems like with just the four of us that we got, it seemed like the games were were. It seemed like it went a lot quicker than it does with paper, also. But I mean, it was it was still one of the best times we've been the, since I've been playing online that I've had. And and as you guys know, the online competition and and play level is just so elevated. Everybody's good when you come online, and uh, it just brings a new aspect to it. And hope to see some new, new ideas for cards I thought I already knew. Hey, that's really cool. And welcome to the clan, Yard Eight. Oh, I appreciate it. So, anybody played in a Mir- Mirrodin Besieged release? Mm, I didn't play. In re- I didn't play in releases, but I played in some of the drafts in the last few days. Yeah, I drafted Triple Besieged. Yeah, I've been hitting the Triple Besieged drafts really hard. Oh, there's Triple Besieged. Drafts, huh? Yes. Sir. Four, four, three, two, two. Had no idea. No wonder, dude. I'm doing that tonight. That's what I'm doing. There we go. Problem solved. How did they go? Uh, I, I've been doing quite well. I attempted to draft, draft the very worst white green creature deck on the face of the earth, and I succeeded. Congratulations. Yeah, I went in one and drafted a. Um, End up dropping a Mono Red. Yeah, believe it or not, Mono Red, huh? Uh, Mono Red um, Battle Cry deck did fairly well and got me into the um, second round, which I lost against uh, a very aggressive Mono um, Green, Mono Green like Infect deck. Which, or well, no, I think it was Green Black, but it was very aggressive. A lot of creatures, a lot of creatures in Infect, annoying to play against, but yeah. And then, uh, then my second tournament I played in, the, I think the same day, was a complete failure because of the, because I got DC'd, I think, on the third pack and missed most of my picks. But um, 
And then, and of course, I was playing. I just happened to be playing a tournament that Great Great Edge was also part of. So we had to play each other in the first round. He you know, nominated me from it. It was completely not time to press golf in that tournament, but it happened that way. And so I guess one thing about this triple bes- mirrored and besieged uh, format is that it'll only be going on through the release event, right? Correct. Okay. I was about to ask what kind of archetypes you see, but since it's not going to hold, I won't necessarily waste our time with that. Are we sure, though, that it's only going to be for the duration of the release events? I guess we're not positive, but as an educated guess, I would say, yeah, it's only going to be for the release events. It's probably, what, two weeks? Yeah, so I'll definitely do as many of those as possible. Sweet. Does somebody want to join one after this with me? Well, they're, they're, the only ones you can do are four, three, two, twos, which is single elimination. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really, I wouldn't really like to play ones with other clan members, just for that one reason. Because you're afraid you'll lose. No, I mean not necessarily that, but you know that you could also knock a fellow clan member out of the tournament, and they might not like that too much. And you, you know, I mean, you, you risk, you know. There's different things that can happen. Just one thing regarding the uh, triple murder and besiege. I'm just looking at the web page. It says that they end on the 9th of March. Yep. So release time. <laughs> Dax is just like happy as can be now. Well, I mean, what? Why? Wow. Well, it certainly improves your odds of pulling a Tesseract. I guess. I mean, yeah. Yep. We've had, we've actually had a couple of clan members in the last couple of days that pulled Tesserats and those things. So. Yeah, this will probably be the time when most of those cards will be at their cheapest. That makes sense, because they'll be flooding the market, you're saying? That's my thought. Once the draft slows down, that's when the cards will start creeping up in price. That makes sense. So, like, whatever the past, like, week or so, Ted's dropped, like, a lot. Yeah, it's still pretty hard to judge demand on some of these cards, because you don't know if the combos can be found for them. I mean, will there be a Tier 1 Tezret deck? Well, I mean, if you're counting the... Like, the Pro Tour Top 8 Tesseract decks, then I would say there already is a Tier 1 Tesseract deck. Yeah, we should get some feedback from the Star City Games Washington tournament. I think Standard is finishing soon. You know what I wonder? I wonder what would happen if Tesseract was to animate an equipment. Could you equip it to itself? No. No, you wouldn't be able to attack with it if you did. I mean, even if that was even possible. So, what is it like to draft Triple Mirrored and Besieged? It's interesting. I mean, you know, it's a lot. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's a lot more focused. I have, I have, I have had very little experience with Scars of Mirrodin, but to me, it's just a little more focused on, you know, and the colors are a little more, you know, spread thinner, so you kind of have to focus your build a lot more. Just from the retro drafts that Pasta and I have been doing, that have all, that have all been mirrored in Besiege, triple, triple NBS, uh, a few things that I've noticed is that there's a lot less poison. Like, poison is not a very good archetype in that format. It's because all the poison creatures, while very good, are pretty high-costed. There aren't really that many cheap infect guys, so they don't see as much infect as you would in Scars. Or if you do, it's not going to be as as you know amazing, as fast, as deadly as it would be if you had Scars packs. And also, a lot of the, like, a lot of the cards that, like, proliferate effects... Um, those kind of things don't tend to do much because most of the really good cards that benefit from proliferating aren't in near and besieged. So I like, I guess, one thing that, and this is one thing I noticed, that there are a few archetypes that you find in Scars that you're not going to find in near and besieged just because the, the cards for them just aren't there. I really haven't seen that many proliferate cards at all in near and besieged. 
There's a there's one too, but not that many. And also, I'm not. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not sure whether the speed of Meridian Besiege necessarily is that different than Scars, but I think there might be more heavy costed, like high costed creatures in Meridian Besiege that you you tend to play more of those than you would in Scars. So you mentioned the value of cards. I was curious if. Well, what I was wondering is the current prices on cards for Mirrored and Besieged with MTGO are more or less than what you would expect them to be. So, as an example, Sword of Feast of Famine at $25 seems overpriced. Really? It's $25 on Magic Online? That is pretty overpriced. Compared to the paper counterpart, anyway. I think it's overpriced, but I wouldn't say I didn't expect it to be overpriced. I guess just because of the fact that Cobblade is like the biggest deck in standard right now, it just seems inevitable that the card is just going to skyrocket because people are just grasping for it because they want to get the newest tech and bring that into standard tournaments before everyone else gets the cards. The, um, the whole paper versus magical line like economy is really weird because I mean you got some cards. That for the most part, most of your cards are like dirt cheap compared to the paper counterparts. But then you got certain certain rares and certain bombs that just you know just go a lot more expensive in digital version. That's weird. I've never noticed that. Cause yeah, sort of feast and famine in paper is you can get it for sixteen bucks. And you know the reason for that, obviously though, is just because it's been out in paper a lot longer and magical line. I think I think more packs are probably open on Magic Online. Well, maybe not. I'm not sure. It's hard to say because th- there's a lot of drafting that goes on in Magic Online. I'm not sure how many packs are opened up on Magic Online compared to Paper. But I definitely would say right now Paper's got the advantage just because of all the booster boxes that are being torn open. Yeah, I was about to say, um, booster boxes definitely contribute a lot to the, the flow of cards because I know personally, like, my card shop, when, when a new set comes out, you got some some people that you go and buy four and five boxes at a time on day one and just open them up and... I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of cards being open. I think maybe the, the difference between paper and magic is the liquidation of like Magic Online is liquidation of cards. It's because most of the cards that get opened up on Magic Online tend to eventually go back into circulation, whereas paper cards, people might just buy those and leave them in a, you know, a shoebox in their closet for years. Definitely. And then in Magic Online, you can just go to a bot from your computer and just pick out whatever card you need from whatever set if you got the money. Paper, you actually gotta go search out that card and go order it off the internet or something. You know, it's not as easy. Cards are not as easy to come by. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't think Sword of Feast and Famine can sustain itself at that price. It's gonna go down. It'll probably, it'll still be more expensive than Mind and Body, probably, and it might level out around fifteen. The problem is, is comparing those two cards. Like, you know, obviously the Sword is it's a better Sword than Mind, mind and Body. Plus, it isn't a smaller set, so once. You know, once these triple mirrored and besieged drafts go away, it's going to be drafted a whole lot less. I don't know. I think the playing both the swords are very good in their own ways. And, uh, I kind of, I personally lean a little, to, a little more towards mind and body, just because of the fact that it throws out tokens and the color and the. Uh, I don't know. But you also got to look at the pros that it gives from and what and what the environment's going to be like. Are we going to see more red and green? Probably so. Then we will see blue and green. I mean, yeah. black and green. I think personally, like, if I was in a draft, I'd prefer to have Mind and Body, but in Constructed, definitely, the Sword of Peace and Batman is the one that actually is better in most cases. And we, we got to remember, the decks that are going to play Peace and Famine are going to be, like, equipment decks that can search it out, and they're going to play both swords. I mean, they're probably going to have one of each or two of each sword in their deck, so... 
Okay, but just dealing with prices, I expect most things to go down within the next week or so. And then probably, you know, slowly creep back up. So this is probably, toward the end of the release events, probably be the best time to buy cards for the most part. Say that again? If I had, if I was going to buy cards, like buy singles, I would probably wait until right as the release events are ending to pick up most of those cards. Because I think that once the draft format goes back to one NBS and then two SCARs, the prices are going to slowly go back up for most cards. For Mainly for the, the Mythics. All the other cards will, you know, obviously creep down just because those are, like, comments on comments will still be saturated. But a lot of the Mythics will probably creep up over time. Definitely don't try to buy on commons and stuff right now. It's the worst time. The beginning of the set's launch. I'm really hoping that, um, Golden Go for the Pro doesn't, doesn't remain, like, $2 uncommon $2 or whatever in paper. Like, you know, like certain, like certain uncommons have in the past, but... I'm hoping that goes down a lot. Yeah, I don't think an uncommon in like, circulation will stay that high. I mean, because you've had uncommons in the past that, that, have hit, that have hit, like, the $5 mark and stuff, like, you know, Bug Raid and Path Exile. I don't really think of the Pro really that level anyway. I think the danger for some of these cards is waiting. Like, people tend to wait to buy the cards until they show up into it and show up in a deck, and that tends to be the worst time to try to buy a card. Uh, like for example, like Thrun right now is pretty cheap compared to what I think it probably could get to. So you know, even though there's not really a deck that he's like being featured in, like mainly, I would still I would I would not wait for that to happen to then they go decide to pick up a Thrun because he definitely is like you need to look for cards that just obviously like scream that they're gonna be good and just pick those up before the price gets you know shot up by some kind of successful deck in a format. Definitely, I mean, if, if you see like something like Evolve Nexus going for like four dollars on the store or something, buy that because I mean, most likely it's going to go up in a while. Or you know, you know, any like any card that you can that your that your Magic player senses can tell tells you that will be playable and good. And just to give you guys a heads up, actually, I'm looking at MTGO Traders, and if this price is right, Thrun's currently at six fifty. Yeah, I was checking that out. Yeah, the uh, most expensive Sun Zeniths are the green and the black for three fifty. But are those? I definitely pick up a set of those. Oh uh, yeah, definitely pick those green Sun Zeniths up. They don't. They don't have any in stock. But yeah, that seems. Isn't that going to be the ramp card of choice for green? It's not really a ramp card. It's more of a searching. It's more of a search thing. It's it's a, it's a utility because I mean, it gets you whatever. It gets you pretty much any creature in your deck if you're playing mono green. You know. And it's even good in something like elves because it gets you, it gets you your your lore whenever you want them, or it gets you your your um your different situational elves whenever you need them. Even though Dicax makes a point, it will often be used as a as a ramp type spell to fetch up uh, the cards you need to accelerate in early game, and then late game that'll be your getting your utility cards. Yeah, I mean it's a card that gets you whatever you need at the time that you want it, you know, or that you need it because. I mean, sure, you can wait, you can try to celebrate your mana and cast it for, like, nine or something to get, or whatever, to get whatever big thing you got in your deck, but if it's early game, you need something, like, you can just, you can just cast it for two or three and get that, that enchantment removal creature or whatever creature you need for the situation. What's the definition of a utility card, right? I mean, it's useful early game and late game. Yeah, that's also the definition of a good card, is if it's useful at any point in the game. It's never a bad top deck. And in case anybody's wondering, Marlin Bot does have lots of copies of Thrun. The song is trying to plug the heck out of Thrun right now. I just, I'm, I'm just interested in that card because everyone was talking about how awesome it's going to be and 
like a, when when I first when they first rolled, it was like maybe a thirty to forty dollar card, and then it was crept down to like fourteen in a few week like in a week, and now it's at six six seventy five. And it's like it seems like a good time. Sorry. Buffy, how many copies are you going to run of that guy in your deck? I mean, are you going to run a full four playset? I mean, it's legendary, so you don't want to draw a second or third one. You know, I mean, it is hard to kill, so, I mean, what's a good balance of copies to run? Three. I would say maybe two main board and maybe have one on the sideboard, depending on what you're playing against. Really? I predict Thrun will hit five before he spikes back up. There's just certain cards that I, I, I recall from, like, uh, past releases that I just wish I had, I had paid more attention to early on when they were cheap, and then you know instead of waiting until they became like, recognizably good, like Avenger of Zendikar or even Jace the Mind Sculptor back when you know back when he was only fifty dollars, you know those kind of cards that you know that you think you know you keep waiting for them, then they get cheaper and cheaper, but you know at some point they're just gonna climb back up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cobras were at seven ticks apiece. Monuments were down to four. Look at those things now. What do you guys think of Iron Crusader? I mean, he's at five dollars right now, but that's a card I, I, I see. I, just, I can see being quite useful in the format. Which one, Mirren Crusader? Yeah, Mirren Crusader, the white guy, the white knight. He's lower than five. Yeah, he's gonna because he's a rare. He's gonna go lower. Somebody, somebody told me he was five dollars that day, but he might be five paper. It, it, it's just strange thing how. The market, it's similar but different between online and paper. Well, he's selling on NTGO Traders for five yeah, right now. I was going to say. But yeah. I think he'll be lower. Yeah, I would not buy in at five on that. Not to take away from, like what you said, he is a good card, Scott. But you can get, you'll be able to get him cheaper than five. Well, that's, that's good for here because that card, I would definitely be playing that card. Out of curiosity, since all you guys are on um, price websites, what is Ingmoth Nexus running for on Magic Online? Four seventy-five is my guess. I'm not on a price website right now. Five seventy-five. Good guess. No. Oh. But they're not in stock. See, black and green Sunsian is going for four twenty-five right now. You can probably buy the white one for dirt cheap, which I would recommend doing that because it's a good card. You can buy it for dirt cheap. Five. Yeah, white Sunsian is only fifty cents. Where are you looking? Marlin bot. Oh. I would actually buy White Sun Zenith at that sixty cent. That that's one that that's probably as low as it's gonna be. Yeah, because I mean it hit it hit a dollar. I mean it's at, it hit a dollar for a while. It was probably still there on paper. So you know that was a good price even then for I mean, paper wise anyway. Because you don't usually get rares for you don't typically get rares for cheaper than a dollar on paper. Good standard rares. What's uh. Just out of curiosity for you guys on on those sites or bots, what's knowledge pool going for? Let me check. Twenty cents. Yep, I'm grabbing a place at Conley Woods in an article this week on General Fireball said he's working on a knowledge pool deck that's testing well. Is everybody starting to trade? I know I am. Yeah, I went out and just got some white suns in oh. and uh, knowledge oh. pool. I mean, oh. more. All right. Or are there any decks that stand out to anybody? Any decks anybody wants to talk about? I would like to add something here, but I haven't really been following Constructed right in the last couple of re- couple of weeks other than uh, Pro Tour. 
don't know, even looking at uh, how Conley's his, his latest post on uh, Channel Fireball, it's got some deck lists up there that everything is working on. One that interests me is sort of like a hybrid, like a, like a different version of his Dredgevine deck without the black and with white added. I think he's a good person to turn to when a, when a set first comes out because he tends to play with lots of weird cards. So he'll, I think he'll probably be one of the first people to figure out if some of these like fringe cards are actually playable and constructed. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 117%. It's very precise. Uh, just to uh, add a word of caution, I give or take 2% there. It's a small confidence interval. Well, is there anything else that anybody would like to talk about? Um, what'd you have for dinner tonight, Dykex? I had a pizza go-go with chicken. What the heck is a pizza go-go? I think it wears white boots up to its hips. Well, is that true? I'm sorry, it's pesto go-go. It has basil pesto sauce, artichoke heart, sun-dried tomatoes, and goat cheese. To which I added chicken. I'm sorry, you had me until you said said the goat's cheese. Gotta try it. And then I had some Ben and Jerry's peanut butter cup ice cream before coming up here to do some show notes and record a podcast. So do you have like a podcast study? You know, it's like a recording studio over there in your house? Yep. I uh, put up the foam foam on the walls and it's uh, looking like a recording studio. I got the uh, recording sign that goes on outside, so my wife knows that I'm recording. In case anybody's awesome. interested, there's actually a sort of peace and famine for 1850. All right. Anything else before we move on to uh, some kind of crack-a-pack? Should we do a cube crack-a-pack? <laughs> Should we do a... Please don't crack any packs here <laughs> on the radio. Should we uh, do a cube crap-a-pack, crap Eldritch? Um, I don't mind. Can you help us out there? There's something you need to do, Dagex. <laughs> That's a good question. Banana fish, I'm back. What did I miss? Oh, I was, uh, I explained what kind of pizza I had. And we talked about my recording studio. And then we decided we we're going to do a cube crap up. Crap-a-pack? Wait, does that mean you're going to sit on the toilet while you open a pack? Because I'm not sure that's uh, proper. Or maybe it is. Maybe that's just so abstract and off the wall it'll work. That'll bring them in. Do it. Do it. Well, actually, that was a studio. We were talking about a studio, and a studio is a bathroom, and he's sitting there right now. Mm-hmm. That should definitely be, that should definitely be the title of the episode, though, is Crap-a-pack. <laughs> that's a good suggestion. What do you think of Massacre Worm? So, bottom um, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Eldritch or Pasta, do you want to set us up for Cube Crap a Pack? I don't know why I can't say it right. Sure, let's say. Is Fist still here? Yep. Wow. Hey, how you doing? I'm about to fall asleep. Should I send it to you, Dykax? No, you. Or do you, you want me to read it? I trust you. Alright, I've got one. Take it away. Alright, so, see the first card, I'm just going to go in the order it's got here. It doesn't sort it by rarity, and if it, even if it did, it'd just be weird. So uh, the first card here is Buried Alive. It's two and a black, it's a sorcery, and it says, Search your library for up to three creature cards, and then put them into your graveyard. Then shuffle your library. 
good pick if you know you have if you already picked on um, recursion cards. Yeah, that's a tough cube card because you got to have to have that uh, NA dead almost in hand before you pick that one. Yeah, so it's but once you once you start drafting the reanimate archetype, it's a pretty key card to be able to pick up all your really big bombs and throw them into your graveyard with just one you know one spell. How did you? Um, how many reanimate effects do you have in your cube? Uh, quite a few. Black is just black is like full of all kinds of reanimate spells. Like we the, the cube is built so that reanimate's a really prevalent archetype. There's actually a reanimate spell in this pack. All the awesome stuff in the cube, that card will easily pass by you again. Yeah, it'd cycle around if you pick the uh, reanimate because no one else would need it. Alright, so the next card in the pack is Puncture Blast. It's two and a red. It's an instant, and it has Wither. And it says, Puncture Blast deals three damage to target creature or player. Always a good zap spell. One thing I like about this spell, though, is because... It, it'll like, like, if it doesn't kill the creature, it'll still weaken it, so you can kill it with something else because it deals damage in minus one, minus one counters. So it's sort of like dealing permanent damage, and it's actually pretty nice because there are a lot of really, really big creatures in the cube, and so a three damage spell is not going to take care of most of those creatures. So being able to shrink it like and do a, like maybe trade for it during combat is actually a pretty good trick. And then also, like, there's some creatures that you necessarily don't necessarily want to go to the graveyard, but you can weaken them to where they're not really a threat to you, but, you know, keep them on the board. I mean, that's very situational, but it still comes in handy when it happens. All right, so the next card is Magma Jet. It's one in a red. It's an instant. And it says, Magma Jet deals two damage to target creature or a player, and then you can scry for two. I'm a really big fan of that card. I mean, uh, I like how you construct it, just because it's a red card that lets you set up your next draw, and play the end of your opponent's turn, kill a creature, set up your next draw to keep momentum going. But in the cube, I'm sure there's better things to pick, but it's still a decent card. You're right, though. It is a very big tempo card. Like One of the things you don't want to do in, like, a playing, if you're playing an aggressive red deck is like, top deck land. So it's nice that you could you know, play the card, and then if, you, if you're drawing into land, you could put this on the bottom of your deck and actually get, it, get some action. All right, so the next card is Oona, Queen of the Fae. This is a big bomb. So it costs three, and then three more of either a or blue mana or black mana. So it costs six total. It's a legendary creature, fairy, has flying, you pay X, and then a blue or a black mana, and you get to choose a color, target opponent moves the top X cards of his or her library from the game. For each card of the chosen color removed from this way, put a 1-1 blue and black fairy rogue creature token with flying into play. I'm going to say I've used that card quite a few times, and it's an amazing card. It's definitely a bomb that can end games. And the thing that's best about it is that in the like the a limited format, especially where the decks are like maybe at most you know at most you're gonna have maybe thirty like thirty something cards in your deck after you draw and you know play a few turns, uh, you can definitely deck an opponent pretty quickly. If you have the Oona out, and the cards are exiled, so they don't actually go back to the graveyard. So you don't have to worry about the card like helping like a reanimate deck or you know a recursion deck. Yeah, I remember I remember when this card was actually in standard and it was quite good then. I mean, just because it's a big creature that, I mean, it has invasion and, and it gets rid of threats off, it gets rid of potential threats that your opponent can draw, and it gives you creature advantage. I mean, it's really good. I should mention it is a five-five, so it doesn't have a big body on it. Also, it's, it passes the lightning bolt test and it even passes the burst lightning test, so it's good. And it's black, so you can't uh, a lot of a lot of like black kill effects won't work on it. By the way, is Ghost of the Throat in the cube yet? It is not. It's a must. I say it replaces Terror because a lot of your other stuff is going to have black limits. 
Alright, the next card is Mulch Ambler. It's 3 and a green, 3-3, three, three, and it's got a kicker for 1 and a green, and when Mulch Shambler enters the battlefield, it was kicked, destroy target, non-creature, permanent. It's really good in a format like this when there's so many strong artifacts and enchantments in this format. And also it kills Planeswalkers, and it also will kill non-basic lands, so it's got a lot of utility. Yeah, you almost always have a target for this, if it's just a land. Yeah, the cube does have quite a few like really powerful like Planeswalkers, really powerful artifacts, and really powerful enchantments, so definitely this is a card you need to have. Well, the, you would not need to have necessarily, but would really love to have so you could pick it up, but probably later in the cube. Alright, the next card is, is it Signet? It costs two, it's an artifact, you pay one and tap it, and you can add a blue and a red mana to your mana pool. I personally don't like Signets, I would rather just straight up ramp or um, acceleration. I hardly ever use them, but I know other people have assessed with them, and they are still good, so if you need to, if you need to filter your mana. They're not very, like, they're, they're pretty good for splashing, they're not very good if you're if you're playing like, the, like those colors already, then there's no reason to play a Signet. Alright, well the next card is Roar of the Worm. It costs 6 and a green, and it's a sorcery. And you can put a 6-6 six, six green worm creature token into play, and then it has flashback for 3 and a green. Is that a popular card to be drafted? I love it playing the cube. That's not it's something, not. It's something I'll consider even if I was in green, because it's just so hot, so expensive. But it's really not, though, because cubes tend to have lots of high-costed creatures, and... You know, there aren't really that many aggressive strategies in cube, even though you can build some that, that work pretty fast. But um, Roar of the Worm actually is very, very viable in this format. And it gets you two 6-6s, six, six, that's what you got to remember. Yeah, and it's just almost half. Really? The flashback's actually cheaper on that card? Oh, yeah. That must have like a, a man that's targeting back in the past. All right, so the next card is Stormbind. It's one, a red, and a green. It's an enchantment. You pay two, and you discard a card at random from your hand to have Stormbind deal two damage to target creature or a player. I don't know about that card. In a format like this, most of the stuff you're going to be uh, pitching are probably better cards anyway just because of the quality of your picks. I don't know if I want to pitch. I have, most of the cards that I'm drafting, I don't know if I want to pitch for measly two damage. And that's just to win the game. I haven't used the card, but I have had it used against me. I think I played against, I think it was maybe Osric that was playing it before. Uh, but either way, the card ended up being well won in the game multiple times, just because late game when we were trying to, you know, struggling to you know, get cards, and he, you know, his hands were like full up on mana. He would just sit there and just discard card after card, kill all my creatures, do direct damage to my life total. That card actually ends up being pretty good in certain certain formats. Actually, you know, it's more of a late game card. All right, so the next card is a dual land, a watery grave. It is an island swamp, and then it has the op- the option of as watery grave comes into play, you may pay two. If you don't, Ray Grave comes into play, taps instead. Dual lands and cubes are pretty specific. You know, I, they they seem to be terribly unexciting when you when you uh, when you have in your regular decks are wonderful, but when you're drafting them in a cube, if they're not your color, they just pass and pass and pass. One thing I was talking about probably one of the previous podcasts is that one thing that like we have played the cube quite a few times without any kind of dual land, so without really the fixing you get from non basic lands. After we added the, the non-basic lands, we only have so we have the full set of the Ravnica duels plus all the uh, duels from Shards of Alara. Once we added those in, decks just like exploded into you know three, four colors, 
it really allows you to branch out and play different cards. So one, you know, you don't think about it that much, but the cards really do allow you to splash a lot, you know, a lot easier. I mean, they're they're necessary evil for sure. I mean, you may not like getting it in the pick; it may seem underwhelming, but if you're in those colors, they definitely help you. Or even if you're you're, you're thinking about trying to splash a fairy color, and you get the dual land for it. And they're quite helpful. See, the thing with dual lands is that you, you I don't, I'm, I'm never really underwhelmed when I get one. I always want one. I, if I'm playing those colors, I want that card. And the the balance is you got to figure out whether or not you want to take the chance of trying to like seeing if it'll wheel one more time, or picking it up now and knowing that you'll be able to fix, but maybe pass up a card that you could play in your deck. So there's a bit of a trade-off between consistency and power. Right, so the next card is Journey to Nowhere, one in a white. Enchantment. When Journey to Nowhere enters the battlefield, exile target creature. When Journey to Nowhere leaves the battlefield, return the exile card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Cheap fire removal is always good. If in a cube with like this level of power level, there's just a whole ton of removal. So, and like most of the games are just going to be sort of you know trade-offs back and forth between someone plays a big card and gets removed, then they play a big card and that gets removed. So definitely, if you want to be able to play the game. You gotta have the removal in your hand to, you know, because it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be the card that's not removed that's gonna win them the game. All right, so the next card is Sensei's Divining Top. It costs one. It's an artifact. You pay one. Look at the top three cards of your library and then put them back in any order. Then you can tap the card, tap it, draw a card, and then put Sensei's Divining Top on top of its owner's library. If there's not an Ultra Bomb in my pack, that's first pick. And it says when Archon of Justice is put into a graveyard from play. Remove target permanent from the game. <laughs> we know what Thomas' picks are going to be. You may be surprised. I actually know what your picks are going to be. It's not the Archon of Justice, but still. All right, so that's the entire pack. What do you guys think? I'd, I'd like that as my first pack. I'm going with um, Una. It's my pick. I'd go with the uh, Mash the Irish. I'd probably do the same as the Avenge and go for the Oona as first pick. Even though I have seen it wheel quite a few times, I just feel like getting it now, maybe if you cut off that color, maybe you could even get back the watery grade and have that mana ready for you. Too much versatility in Divining Top to have it sit there, so I, I take it first and preserve my colors for my second pick. I like that too. That's would be the other option between those two, I think. Unless, of course, you wanted to force reanimate, then you might take Necromancy. Well, that's what's interesting about um, Mirror Siege is you can, like, you can go like fifth pick before you even dedicate yourself to any color. I mean, not that you really want to do that, but you can. You know, you can just pick artifact at the artifact, and, and then after a while, you're like, okay, well, this color looks open. Let me start going to this color. Yep, exactly. All right, so I guess that's Crack-A-Pack. That's Crap-A-Pack. That was not Crap-A-Pack, because those were good cards. Yeah, I agree. Those were those were really good cards. Join the queue. Yeah, right, right. you the should queue. definitely do a um, queue draft of us. They're quite fun. All right. And any parting thoughts? Well, just in relation to the cube draft, the next one will probably be this coming Wednesday at 7.30 Eastern. So if anyone's interested in that, just be around Magic Online at that time, and you're welcome to join. Uh, the, the first time you ever play in the cube, you can do it for free. So just if you, want, if you haven't played before, just come on in, and we'll let you uh, join. Uh, otherwise, if you want to play, you know, actually play regularly, uh, all you need to do is donate 10 tickets to the cube, and we use that, obviously, to buy to buy new cards and to finish off the list. Uh, then you can play for as long as you want, for as much as you want. I'd like everybody to come out and play some Clone Magic with us on Sundays. Um, the, debt, the cards are easy to get. It's a lot of fun, and it's a one-time investment, and we'll be doing it every Sunday for the 
to the end of the world. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The the clone stuff, if we could get more players, it, it really makes playing the game a lot more interesting. Uh, the rules, the and it seems like we have a better time with the more crazier the rules. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us for episode 15. Thank you, Doc X. Thank you for having yes, me. You're welcome. Welcome to the clan. Doc X, I just wanted to say, you're welcome. If you were here, I'd give you a hug, but... I think you should give him a kiss. <laughs> we should go to a private room. Way to bring it up a notch. All right. Well, I'm going to do a mirrored and besieged 4-3-2-2 draft. More than... Wait, I, I went to a private room and you stood me up, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'll do one tomorrow as well. You gonna record it, Dicax? Tomorrow I was gonna do the uh, sealed release event. I think it starts at uh, must be uh, be eleven o'clock Seraphim time, I think. Oh really? I haven't been keeping track of those. At sixty four with top eight. So figure out. Is it draft or sealed? sealed? Why? Which do you prefer? I prefer draft over sealed. And for the release events, I usually like to... I don't know. I want to keep my cards. I don't know. I think I'm with you, that guys. I like sealed during release and pre-release. Yeah, I also prefer uh, sealed, because I'm bad at drafting. I mean, yeah, so it takes a good sealed pool, and you can go all the way. Yeah, and it also takes a uh, bad sealed pool, and you go home with your tail between your legs. Just means I'm gonna get a lot more housework done. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, recording, diecast. No problem. I like that. Instead of calling a podcast, you should call them diecasts. Diecast. The die is cast. That's it for episode 15 of the Voice of Seraphim Crappa Pact. I'd like to thank my co-host Eldritch Song and our special guest Pastafarian, Easy Pickens, Yardape, Fist, and Avenged for joining me. Next week, I'll be attending Mirrodin Besiege Game Day at my local game store, and I won't be able to produce a podcast. But you can join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim, Saturday, March 12th at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. This is Dicax, and you've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. <laughs>